Well, for the last four weeks, we've been looking at things in our past that rob us of the joy of Christmas ghost from Christmas past. We looked at the sin that easily entangles those habits that seem to have a stranglehold on our life. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how many tears we shed, it seems like we just can't break free from that sin and it robs us of joy. We looked at envy, the desire to have things that other people have. And when we don't have those things that other people have or we don't see ourselves like other people see themselves, it robs us of our joy. And that envy, if it is left unchecked, not only becomes a desire to have what other people have, it causes us to want them to not have the things that they have. That's what envy will do. Last week we looked at grief, that, that bad feeling that we have when we lose someone or someone that is very important to us. And that grief, unless it is dealt with, unless it is handled correctly, will rob us of our joy. And, and the time of the year that is supposed to bring happiness to our life, we find it bringing sadness to our life. But this morning, I want us to look at a fourth issue that I think can rob us of the joy of Christmas, and that is our relationships. And so let's get real this morning. When our relationships go south, it can put a real damper on the Christmas season, can it? Because the truth of the matter is, when our relationships go south, we don't want to be around those people that our relationships have gone south with because if we are around them, if we are with them, we are reminded of the relationship. And all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the sorrow comes flooding back into our life and we begin to relive that hurt again in our life. Now for me, the relationship where this really hit home was in the relationship with my mother-in-law. And I've got to be honest, my mother-in-law and I got along great until Sherry and I got married. And, and then it, it went south. And it went south for a variety of reasons. There were some things said, I think unintentionally, not even directed at me, that put a, a wedge between us that hurt our relationship. And then on top of that, for most of our life, my wife and I have lived away from our family. And both of our families live in the same hometown within a couple of miles of each other. And so at Christmas time when we would go home, we would have to always decide, okay, whose house are we going to stay at? And I got to tell you, it became so awkward that, that we would literally spend half of our time at one house and half of our time at the other house packing up and traveling three miles down the road so that feelings weren't hurt. And, and this relationship rift didn't just last for a week or, or a couple of months or even a year. This relationship rift lasted for years. Now, in case some of you are thinking that your pastor has issues, I do. But the truth of the matter is, most of you have issues as well because we all struggle with relationships. It's a part of the results of the fall. 
Adam blamed Eve. Cain killed Abel. Sarah was jealous of Hagar. Rebekah deceived Jacob. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And all of that is in the first book of the Bible. Relationship problems have been around since the very beginning. Today, our divorce rate continues to be staggering because couples can't solve their problems. People are moving from job to job in part because they can't get along with their coworkers. And friendships are becoming more shallow and superficial, superficial all the time. It seems like when, whenever our relationships get difficult, instead of working on them and trying to solve them, we choose to abandon them and move on. And in case you're wondering, this relationship problem isn't just a problem for the people who are out there. You know, those non-Christians. Relationship problems are something that we all struggle with. Research reveals that born-again Christians in the United States file four to eight million lawsuits every single year, oftentimes against other Christians, costing between 20 and 40 billion dollars. There are approximately 19,000 major scarring church conflicts each year in the United States. 19,000. Thousand. Have you ever wondered where Second Baptist Church comes from? There was a conflict in First Baptist Church. 35% of born-again Christians who have been married have gone through a divorce. The same percentage as the general population. And 1,500 pastors leave their church every single month in the United States in part because of conflict. So what can we do? How can we overcome this ghost of Christmas past, these relationship risks? Well, there's a book in the Bible that addresses the issue. You see, there were these people in the church that could not get along. And so, in the book of Philippians, Paul calls out two women publicly, and he encourages them to solve their problems. Now this passage is found in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me there. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We have the words on the screen. But, but listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I, I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy. You are the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Yoda and Sintuke, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked alongside with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considering all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, 
which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, the Bible gives us a lot of help when it comes to relationships. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have passages, scriptures, and stories that teach us how to handle relationship problems. But I believe in these ten verses, we see eight steps that if we will put these into practice, they will help us restore broken relationships. I am convinced with all my heart that if we will put them into practice, they can fix any relationship. So here's step number one. Recognize the problem. When there's a relationship problem, a relationship rift, you've got to first of all recognize the problem. Notice what Paul said in verse 2. Now I appeal to Yoda and Sintuke. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. The first step, admit there's an issue. Recognize there's a problem. Because all too often, we refuse to do that. You see, we want to brush it off. We want to say that it's no big deal. But you need to understand when relationships go south, it is a big deal. That's why Paul begins with this phrase, I appeal to you. That word appeal is the Greek word kaleo that is translated counselor or comforter in John 16. It's the word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. It literally means to come alongside or near. It's like a father coming to his children, putting his arms around them, and lovingly but firmly telling them what they need to do. And that is what Paul is doing here. But notice, he does it publicly. This letter, the letter to the church at Philippi, was read publicly to the entire church. Can you imagine being called out in church? The letter comes. The pastor receives it. The congregation comes together. And he starts reading this letter. And then he gets to this point. I appeal to Yoda and Suntuke. Can you imagine their ears perking up as they hear their names mentioned? And then he says, I appeal to you. Saddle your disagreements. Get along with one another. Can you imagine if that happened today? Rose, quit gossiping. Tom, quit eyeing other women. Joe, quit being so stingy. Can you imagine that happening? And the issue that called for this public rebuke was their relationships. They couldn't get along. They couldn't settle their disagreements. I want you to listen to how some other translations translate this verse. Quarrel no more. Stop arguing. Iron out your differences. Make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And it wasn't just one of them. Paul addresses both of these women. You see, here's what I've discovered. 
All too often when there is a problem, we point a finger instead of looking in the mirror. But we need to understand that if we really want to heal a relationship, we have to ask ourselves, what can I do? Where did I go wrong? How can I change? You see, reconciliation always begins with you. No matter whether you are the offending party or the offended party, reconciliation begins with you. You don't sit down and say, well, I didn't do anything. It's up to them. It begins with you. So recognize the problem. Step two, receive help from others. Listen to what it says in verse 3. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. Now that phrase, true partner, has been translated in various ways. Some people say that it is a, a name of someone. And so he is not talking about some partner. He's calling someone out. I'm asking you, so-and-so, to help these two women. Other people say that, no, this is talking about a genuine believer who has the ability and has the gift mix to help. Either way, it is obvious that there are those in the body of Christ who have a gift. They have an ability to step into relationships and help heal those relationships. Today, we call those people counselors. Those people who, who not only have the ability to listen, but then apply biblical truth to solving the problem and restoring the relationship. And so understand, counselors not only listen, then they offer biblical solutions to restoring and solving. But here's the thing. Help offered and help received are two different things. We often won't help as long as the person helping sees things from our perspective and offers advice we already want to follow. But if the person that is giving counsel doesn't agree with us and offers counsel that is different than we want to hear, we bow up. We go, wait a minute, you're not listening. And the problem may not be they're not listening. The problem may be that you are not listening. You are not listening to the Holy Spirit. And you are not listening to wise counsel. You see, if we truly want to restore relationships, we must be willing to humbly listen. We must search ourselves and then do what those are helping us tell us to do. Third step. Never forget the bigger picture. And there always is a bigger picture. Listen to verse 3 as it continues. For they, Yoda and Santuke, worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. The, the God's Word translations translates that they fought side by side with me in telling people the good news. You see, relationship rifts not only affect you. Relationship rifts affect the kingdom. Relationship rifts affect the effectiveness of the church in sharing the gospel. The Bible says at one time these ladies were on the front lines. They were sharing their faith. They were reaching their peers. They were advancing the kingdom of God. But something happened. 
all of a sudden there was conflict in the relationship. And sympathizers were recruited and people took sides. And that's the way it always is. When there is a relationship rift, people take sides. I'm with so-and-so, or I'm with so-and-so. And that's what happened right here. And before long, the advancement of the kingdom of God came to a halt. We must never forget why we're here. And we are here for one purpose alone as followers of Jesus Christ. And that is to reach the world with the good news of the gospel. And our purpose is far more important than our petty differences, our selfish desires, or our egos. Eternity is at stake. It is at stake in the lives of our neighbors, our co-workers, and even our families. I want you to listen. It's not worth it to hold on to a hurt. People are watching and souls are hanging in the balance. For me... And the relationship with my mother-in-law, I recognize that there were people in our family who were not following Jesus. And if I did not step up, and I did not act the way that I was supposed to act, regardless of what else happened, then I could affect their ever coming to Jesus. This is a big deal. We need to always be asking ourselves, will the way I'm acting, will what I'm saying, will the way I'm responding advance the kingdom of God? Never forget the big picture. The fourth step is this. In the midst of it all, no matter what someone else does, maintain a good attitude. You see, when people begin to fight, you can either get in the mud and fight with them, or you can rise above it. That's your choice. In Philippians 4 verse 4 it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Paul uses that, that word rejoice eight times in this short book. It's the primary message that he's giving to this church. Rejoice. Be happy in spite of whatever is going on around you. You see, I can't always choose my situation. I can't always change my circumstance. But I can choose my attitude. I can choose how I respond to each and every situation. Every encounter and even every hurt. I can respond with joy or hurt. I can respond with peace or anger. That is up to me. I can't change how other people respond. I can't change what other people do, but I can always choose how I'm going to act. And when I choose joy, here's what I know. Something happens. It impacts those around us. Even those we are struggling with. If we don't get in the mud and fight, but we maintain joy, God does something. He does something in us, and he does something to those around us. Here's the fifth step. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It's kind of familiar sounding, isn't it? It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Listen to what Paul says in, in verse 5. He says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming. And that word considerate is translated gentleness in other translations. 
It describes a person who is convinced that it is better to suffer wrong than to inflict wrong. It is an attitude that causes us to be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. It is really treating people better than they deserve to be treated. And the Bible says gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. If God's Spirit is controlling our life, we will be gentle in how we treat people. Paul said this in Galatians 6.1. He said, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever walk the planet, said this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Would you agree with that? It's true. But you see, more often than not, what we do, if someone yells at us, what's our natural response? To yell back. I mean, if they take it up a decimal, we're going to take it up a decimal. And we're going to take it up a decimal higher. That's what we do. But the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. The way we treat others, even when they treat us wrong, will either escalate the problem or diffuse the problem. Treat others the way we want to be treated. Treat people with kindness and gentleness and be considerate. But notice what he says. He says, let everyone see that you are considerate. I mean, this is being considered even when we are being treated wrong to the point that everyone knows it. We're not going to get into these email fights and text fights. and We're not going to choose sides. We're not going to do that. We're going to be considered and gentle with those who have wronged us. No matter what. Treat others the way we want to be treated. Six, take it to the Lord. Listen to what he says in verses six and seven. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What God is saying here is this. Instead of talking to others about the person or the problem, talk to Him. I mean, if we want God to intervene in our relationship problems, if we want God to do a miracle, then we need to take the problem to God. Sometimes when we do that, God will change our heart. At other times when we do that, God will change the other person's heart. But here's what I know. God moves in response to our prayers. And God moves in response to our persevering prayers. And if we want God to work in people's lives, we have to pray and take it to them. I know what this is like. Uh, I've been wrong before. I've had things said about me that were un true and I could have got down in the mud and and fought it out with them on social media and everything else but that's not the way you handle it and so what do I do I take it to Jesus I ask God to bless them I ask God to meet their every need I ask God to show them grace and mercy I ask God to be with their family in a in a way that will blow their socks off I don't ask God to judge them I ask God to judge me but bless them. And so we go to God and we tell God to work in the situation. God is making it clear. If, if, if I want what the world can give, then I take my problem to the world. If I want what God can give, then I pray. Here's what I know. Most conflict would disappear if we would just get on our knees before God and pray. 
See, prayer can help us cope with those times when we do all we can and, and peace still seems like it is not possible. Prayer will help us know how to resolve conflicts and deal with the issues. And prayer will help us know how to do our part in living at peace even when another person doesn't want to live in peace. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 5. He said, unload your worries on him for he is looking after you. Another translation of that verse says it this way, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him for you are his personal concern. What God is saying there is, I love you so much that whatever you're going through, just pour your heart out to me. I, I, I've taken ownership of you. I'm perfect, personally concerned about you. I'm not going to turn this over to my angels. I'm going to handle your problem myself. Take it to God. Step seven, look for the good. Listen to what he says in verse eight. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Here's what I know. When we're in conflict with someone, we have a tendency to look only at the negative, don't we? That's all we see in them. We may say things when we're confronted, well, I know that they, and we tell something positive, but the negative is what is always on our mind. And yet here, Paul is saying that we get rid of negative thoughts, and we dwell on the positive. And so in relationships, what that means is we sit down and we make a list of those positive qualities of the person that we're in conflict with. And we ask God to fill our mind with those qualities, focus on them, point them out, brag on them, and you may discover God changing the way you see them. But there's one final thing, and that is make the decision. Put it into practice. Do what God's Word says. Listen to what Paul said in verse 9. He says, keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Practice what you've learned. Here's what I know. Most of us that are here have far more Bible knowledge than we put into practice. If I sat back and asked you what the Bible said about a certain issue, most of us could probably come pretty close to giving a right answer. If I asked you to tell me a Bible story, most of us could probably tell that Bible story. And yet, when it comes to putting into practice the things that we read in God's Word, most oftentimes we walk out these doors and we forget what we've heard. And what Paul was saying here is what you've heard me say, do it, put it into practice. Don't just hear it. Don't just put it in your little notebook and go back and look at all the notes that you took. Put it into practice because it's never going to help you unless you do it. You can make excuses or you can be part of the solution. And I want you to know that your relationships are worth it and the gospel is worth it. Like I said, for me, in my relationship with my mother-in-law, I had to come to that point where I realized that the relationships in my life were worth solving this problem. 
my relationship with my wife. Because I, I didn't want my wife to go through her life feeling like I hated her mom. I, I didn't want her to, to feel like I was treating her mother with anything less than loving kindness. And so I knew if I did not deal with this, it was going to affect my relationship with my wife. It would affect my relationship with my kids. Because if they see me treating their grandparents in a way that is less than honoring to God, how do you think that they're going to have their kids treating us as grandparents? You see, things come back to get us one day. But more than that, it's going to affect the kingdom of God. It's going to affect the gospel. Here's what I know. I've got nephews that are far from God. And if they don't see me treating their grandmother in a way that mimics Jesus, they're going to say that this gospel that I claim to believe is nothing but words. But if they see me going above and beyond and loving regardless, they're going to be more apt to hear what I have to say when I talk about Jesus. Relationships are worth it. The gospel is worth it. I'm here to tell you today, if you've got a relationship that's not where it needs to be, don't walk out this door without making the commitment to do everything within your power to make it right. And here's what I know. The Bible says as, as far as possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. And so you can live at peace. The other person may not, but you can be at peace. You've got to live that way. Why? Because the relationship is worth it. And the gospel is worth it. I don't want my neighbors. I don't want my nephews. I don't want my grandchildren looking at the way I treat someone. And it keep them from loving the Jesus I love. The gospel is worth it. But there's another relationship that we need to consider as well. And that's our relationship with God. See, the Bible says that 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 relationship has gone south as well. It went south a long time ago when our ancestors blew it. And we were born separated from God. But God loved us. And God didn't sit on his throne and say, I didn't do anything wrong. They did wrong. He didn't do that. God took the initiative. And God did what only God could do to restore our relationship with him. He sent his son who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross for our sins, defeated sin and defeated death by being resurrected so that you and I could be forgiven and live forever. You see, our relationship with God can be restored because God took the initiative. Where are you at in your relationship with God? Do you have one? I mean, really have one? I'm not talking about do you know the story. I'm asking do you know the God of the story? Has he changed your life? If he has, it will show in how you handle all relationships in your life. I want you to bow your head with me. And I want you to close your eyes. And today we're going to focus on two things. Our relationship with others and our relationship with God. But first of all, our relationship with God. If you're here this morning and your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. 
you've never trusted him to be your savior, then I want to encourage you, I want to beg you today to humble yourself before God and let him save you, let him change your life because he can if you let him. But you've got to humble yourself. He's taken the initiative, he's done the work, but you've got to respond, you've got to receive it. And so if that's what you'd like to do, I encourage you to pray this prayer right now to him. Dear God, I come to you today humbly admitting my sin. I've disobeyed you. I've rebelled against you. I've gone my way rather than your way. I've followed my will rather than your will. Please forgive me. I'm tired of living this way, God. I know it's not why I was created to live. So today, I'm asking you to save me. I believe Jesus came to this earth. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave to defeat sin and death for me. And today, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. Jesus, come into my life. Take control. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.